I wanted you to put yourself in this situation. You're at the grocery store, and you have a specific amount of time. You have a very busy evening ahead of you. In fact, you have company coming for dinner. And so you get a shopping cart, and of course you get one that the wheel drags. Have you ever done that? And you're pushing it through the store, and it's making all that noise. And so you decide to keep the cart, and you're going down the aisles trying to find the things that you need for dinner tonight when you're having this very special company. And of course, they've moved everything around since the last time that you were at the grocery store. But you finally get all the things that you need, and you go to the line, and it's extremely long, but you wait, and you finally get, it's your turn, and you get there, and you find out the cashier is in training. And so she is extremely slow, and so she's running up all your items, and the cashier tape runs out, and of course she doesn't know how to change it. And so she has to go ask for help. Needless to say, you are delayed. What is your response? Or picture this scenario. It's family night. And your family is going out to eat. And you are so excited. This is one of your favorite restaurants. In fact, you've starved yourself all day. So you can enjoy, you all are shaking your head, you know, you can enjoy this meal. So you get there and you find out it's a 45-minute wait. And Remember, you're starving to death. So you wait 45 minutes, and you finally get a table, and the waiter comes and apologizes for the long wait, but he says, you know, we're kind of short on help, and so it's going to be a little bit of a delay in getting your order back there and getting your meal. So you order your favorite item on the menu, only to find out they're out of that particular thing that evening. What is your response? Do you respond with patience or impatience? Do you see God in the big picture or do you forget that you're even related to him? Last week, we started James 5 and we saw the terrible persecution that the New Testament Christians were suffering under at the hand of their rich neighbors. We saw that some of the persecution was even in the form of murder. Some were watching their loved ones being murdered. Now, ladies, that hardly compares to those two scenarios that I just mentioned, right? The type of suffering that these Christians were going under. And yet, the admonition that James gives them is the same admonition that he gives to us. Be patient. Be patient. James admonishes these readers, the ones that are being persecuted, to be patient. And he gives his readers three examples. And ladies, these three examples are good for you also if you are in need of patience this evening. First of all, the example of the patient farmer. Secondly, the example of the persistent prophets. And lastly, the patriarch Job. And these examples would be especially helpful to them during times of persecution and suffering. And ladies, they are to us as well. Let's read together James 5, 7 through 11. Notice what James says. Be patient, therefore, brethren, unto the coming of the Lord. Behold, the, behold, the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth and has long patience for it until he receives the early and latter rain. Be also patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord draws near. Murmur not one against another, brethren, lest you be judged. Behold, the judge stands before the door. Take, my brethren, the prophets who have spoken in the name of the Lord for an example of suffering, affliction, and of patience. Behold, we count them happy who endure. 
You have heard of the patience of Job and have seen the end of the Lord, that the Lord is very pitiful and of tender mercy. Now, we're going to see three ideas this evening. First of all, the example of the patient farmer, verses 7 through 9. Secondly, the example of the persistent prophets, verse 10. And then lastly, the example of the patriarch Job in verse 11. So the patient farmer, the persistent prophets, and the patriarch Job. Let's look first of all at the example of the patient farmer. James says, be patient, brethren, unto the coming of the Lord. Now, remember where we have come so far. You know, these Christians had been going under terrible persecution. They were going to work. They weren't being paid for their work. They were being dragged and hauled into courts by these rich oppressors. And James says, be patient. Therefore, because of all this, be patient. Because of these hardships, be patient. And they were to be patient towards those who were persecuting them. The Greek word here means be long-tempered. Be long-tempered. Now, ladies, this does not mean that they were to be passive. That's not what he's saying. But he is saying this, refrain from retaliation. Be self-restraining. Ladies, patience is one of the fruits of the Spirit, right? The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, meekness, patience, self-control. Patience should be a fruit that is in your life. In fact, this is the same Greek word that is used to describe God's attitude of patience towards us. Did you know that? Listen to this, Psalm eighty-six, fifteen. But you, O Lord God, are full of compassion, graciousness, Long-suffering, which is the Greek word patience, and abundant in mercy and truth. Now, ladies, thinking back to our lesson last week, can you imagine how difficult it would be for these readers undergoing the type of persecution they were undergoing to be patient? It would be very hard because they were being treated unjustly. They weren't receiving, you know, they'd go to work all day. They'd work out in the fields. They'd sweat, come back in, say, hey, I need my money. I need to go buy bread for my family. Uh Uh-uh, you're not getting a penny. Some of their family members being dragged into court. Some of them were watching their loved ones being murdered. James says, be patient. And notice how long they're supposed to be patient. Till tomorrow? No. He says, until the coming of the Lord. Ladies, until Christ comes back to take us home, and it may be sooner than we think, we are supposed to have a patient spirit. And I know that might be difficult for some of you. Maybe this evening you're struggling being patient with a very strong-willed child, or maybe you're having a struggle being patient in a very difficult marriage. Maybe you're having trouble this evening being patient with a neighbor that's always out to get you. Have you ever lived around a neighbor that's always out to give you? I remember we lived by one of those when we lived in California, just always out to get us. But you know, whatever difficult person, whatever difficult circumstance is testing your patience tonight, it doesn't really compare to what these readers were going through, right? Not that that diminishes that. Our struggles are really insignificant, and we are commanded to be patient. But James is acutely aware these readers are having a hard time being patient, so he wants to give them some examples. 
on how to be patient. And the first one is the example of the patient farmer. Notice what he says. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, waiting patiently for it until he receives the early and latter rain. Now, ladies, if you're having struggles being patient tonight, look at the farmer. He waits very patiently for his crops to grow. It takes time, right? In fact, I've talked to Andrea and Susie, and they're both planting gardens this year. Now, you know, Andrea's all excited because her lettuce is just now starting to come up. But she has to be patient. It takes time. And remember, in New Testament times, you know, they didn't have irrigation systems. They didn't have modern irrigation. And so they were dependent on what James calls the early and the latter rain. The early rain would soften the soil and the latter rain would come in the early spring and that would help mature their harvest. Now, what good would it do if the farmer went over to, you know, the vegetables and goes, what is the matter with you? You know, can't you hurry up and grow? Don't you know that, you know, I need you. I need your vegetables. I mean, that really helps, right, the gardens to grow. It won't do any good if Andrea and Susie go out and yell at their plants and tell them to hurry up and grow. It doesn't affect the plants, right? They're not going to grow any faster. That's what James is saying. What good does it do for you to get angry with others who are persecuting you or for that matter to get impatient with anyone? It doesn't do you any good. Just as the farmer exercises patience and long-suffering while waiting for his crops to grow, Ladies, the same it is with us. We should be patient. We should not be vengeful in light of the Lord's return. In fact, he makes this point in verse 8. Notice what he says. Be also patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Just like the farmer, you must be patient. You must not lose your temper. You must not be filled with hatred. You might say, well, how do I get patience? Well, James gives us two ways in this verse. How do you get patient? Patience. The first one looks into your heart, and the second one looks up to heaven. Notice what he says. Here's how you do it. Establish your heart. You know what this means? Strengthen and support your heart so it will stand firm and immovable. You might say, prop yourself up. Have a firm heart. Let your faith be firm. Help it, prop it up so it's not wavering. In fact, it's very similar to what James said. Remember in 1.6 when we're talking about my brethren counted all joys when you fall into various trials knowing the testing of your faith produces patience. And then he starts talking about going through trials and he tells us we're not to be what? Wavering. We're to be steadfast. We're to be firm. We're to establish our hearts. Be firm in our faith. Not to be weary. We're not to be fretful. Now, that's one way you get patience, establishing your heart. Notice the second way, James says. The second way to develop patience is look up. Realize what? The coming of the Lord is at hand. We sang about that a while ago, right? Soon and very soon, we're going to see the king. The apostle Paul says, I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that will be revealed in us. How do I take courage? I'll tell you. How do I get patience? I'll tell you. Not by looking at my circumstances and not by looking at the people in my life that rub me the wrong way. You know how I get it? By raising my eyes heavenward and realizing the coming of the Lord is at hand. 
He's coming. Ladies, we must look and live for the kingdom to come, not live for the kingdom here and now. I mean, think about it. The things that are irritating you tonight, okay, put them in your mind. Don't tell me what they are. The things that are irritating you this evening, what do they matter in light of eternity? Do they matter? No. James says the coming of the Lord is at hand. You know what this means? His coming is imminent. It is near. It could happen at any time. Ladies, the Lord's return should bring us hope and help. It should give you inner strength when facing difficult situations. You know, our hearts would really be propped up. We would be established if we lived in the constant expectation that Christ was coming. In fact, my dad sent me a little booklet today, 101 prophecies that have been fulfilled. And a few weeks ago, I was staying with him and I read through it and every one of them have been fulfilled. Ladies, there's not many more prophecies that have to be fulfilled before the Lord comes. Pam's shaking her head. We talk about this at lunch often. The Lord is coming. And evil men are becoming worse and worse, which Paul said would happen in the last days. Just pick up the newspaper. It's hard to, you know, read the paper, watch the news without being discouraged. James says, prop yourself up, establish your hearts. The coming of the Lord is at hand. James realizes that even though they were going through these difficult times, they were going through persecution and He's still trying to encourage them to establish their heart and look at the coming of the Lord. He knew the temptation that they would have. And ladies, it's the same temptation that you have when going through difficult times. And that is you want to lash out or complain, right? That's why in verse 9, he commands his readers, do not grumble against one another, brethren. The grumble here means do not groan, do not sigh. Don't even murmur. In fact, it's a state of suffering which one longs to be free from. And it may not be actual words like you may not be saying, you know what, I am getting so sick and tired of this situation. It actually might just be an audible like, is this ever going to be over? You know, just an audible. Have you ever done that? You all have with young children. You all are laughing because you've all done it. You know, we've done it with our husbands, but after the excellent wife, you're not going to be doing that anymore. We've all done that. Audible sounds, maybe actual words, not necessarily having to be expressed. And notice who the grumbling's against. Each other. Do not grumble against each other, brethren. They weren't even grumbling at their rich oppressors who were persecuting them. What's the warning here? Ladies, James is warning us about our natural tendency to lash out towards those who are near and dear to us when we are suffering. Isn't that what we do? For example, your well-planned day may not unfold as you had hoped, you know. And Andrea has told me ever since we did that lesson, come now you who say today or tomorrow, she said not one of my days has turned out like I planned. But anyway, you have a well-planned day and it doesn't unfold like you hope. Maybe because, you know, your child decides to get the flu and be sick or maybe you get a phone call with bad news maybe your washing machine breaks down coffee spills on your favorite shirt your car's transmission fails and so what are you tempted to do you're tempted to take it out on your children or your husband who by the way have done nothing to cause those things right 
That's what James is saying. Do not grumble against one another, brethren. And then he gives a reason. Here's why. The judge is standing at the door. He's there. Ladies, do you realize that although your inward feelings of bitterness and criticism may not be outwardly expressed, that you are a candidate as you stand before God, he will judge you. He sees all that stuff going inside of your heart. In fact, we discovered in James chapter 4, when we judge one another, what, we're not any longer a, a, a doer of the law, but we're a judge, right? We set ourselves up as the judge. The admonition here is to not murmur and not grumble because the judge is standing at the door. You know what this means? He's standing at the door, hands on the door, getting ready to push the door to come. You know, all he's waiting for is the father to tell him to go get his children. That's it. The judge is standing at the door. He's ready to come and take us home. Ladies, this should be a comfort, but it should be a warning too. When we're going through difficult times, as these readers were, to be patient, to not murmur, and to not complain. You know, the Apostle Peter says something that should be a warning to all of us, and probably some of you have heard this recently, because, you know, I grew up with a prophetic father who always talked about the Lord's return. And I think it's very interesting where Peter says that, you know, some in the last days will be scoffing. They'll go, where's the promise of his coming? You know, I've heard this all my life. Where is the promise of his coming? And Peter says, the Lord is not slack concerning his promise as some men count slackness, but he's long suffering, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But then he says this, the day of the Lord will come. It will come. Even though people are saying, yeah, he's not going to come back. It will come. And Peter says, it'll come like a thief in the night and the heaven and earth will pass away and everything here, ladies, is going to burn up. It's going to be gone. Because of this, Peter says, we should be living in holiness and godliness. Well, James now returns to their difficult circumstances and encourages his readers to not only look at the patient farmer, but secondly, to look at the persistent prophets. Notice what he says. My brethren, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord as an example of suffering and patience. My brethren, hold before your mind the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord as an example of suffering and patience. You know, Paul says, for whatever things were written in earlier times were written for our learning that we through patient and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. All those things that the prophets have gone through were written for our learning so that we can have patience and hope. That's what James is saying. My brethren, think about the prophets. Think about the prophets as an example of suffering and patience. Now, I'm excited to find out here in a little bit when we go over our homework what prophets you picked. But think about Elijah. I won't go into it too much because I'm sure you all have stories you want to share here in a minute. But Elijah, you know, he announced a wicked King Ahab. You know, there's going to be drought for three and a half years. And yet he had to suffer in that drought. Or Daniel, he suffered a lot of affliction, right? He was thrown in the lion's den. Jeremiah, thrown in an abandoned well and left to die. Ezekiel told his wife was going to die. If that wasn't enough, he had to lay on his side, like, what was it, 365 days? I mean, it was really weird what God told him to do. And then Hosea, you know, go and take a woman, and she's going to commit adultery. 
I mean, how would you like God to tell you that? And he knew ahead of time that his wife was going to commit adultery. That's just five examples of prophets. Ladies, they're an example for us. They did not abandon their faith, but they were willing to suffer for it. In fact, the phrase here, who spoke in the name of the Lord, indicates why they suffered affliction. It was for God's name. It was because of God and their love for him. And ladies, you will too. Paul says all who live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. It's a promise. But the prophet's faithfulness to God amidst their difficult times was a mark of their true character. It was a mark they were truly in the faith. They persevered. All true believers persevere. We call that the doctrine of the perseverance of the saints. They persevere. And James says, he says, these prophets, they're an example in two ways. Notice what he says. An example of how to suffer and an example of patience. Ladies, if you don't read the Old Testament, you should. What great richness in there. The prophets will tell us and show us how to endure hard times and how to endure them with a patient spirit. Do you know the Old Testament prophets well enough to know their stories? Could you follow their example? And by the way, James isn't talking from a cold heart. You know, he practiced what he preached. We'll have to remember, you know, scrape off all the stuff in your brain. Go back to the first lesson in James. Remember, James was martyred for his faith. Remember, James was standing on the wings of the temple and he was sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the authorities came and they said, "Uh, uh-uh, you're not going to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. And they took up stones and began to stone him. And it says that a fuller came up. I think I shared this with you in the introductory lesson. A fuller came up. He had this huge club. Tradition tells us. Club back in those days they'd eat their clothes with. And he hit James over the head. And he died. You know when that happened? A.D. 62, two years after he wrote this epistle. Two years later. And I imagine James thought about that. Consider the prophets as an example of suffering and of patience. James ends this section on patience with something else that is very astonishing in verse 11, as we also turn to the example of the patriarch Job. He says, indeed, we count them happy who endure. We count them blessed who endure. Jesus said the same thing. Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are you when men revile you, persecute you, say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice, be exceedingly glad. Why? Great is your reward in heaven. And so persecuted the prophets who were gone before you, Jesus says. Same things James is saying here tonight. And then he goes on to give him another example. James says, you've heard of the perseverance of Job. By the way, a little bit of Bible trivia. This is the only time that Job's name is mentioned in the New Testament. But the fact that they had heard about it was evident that they all knew the story of Job. And we've talked about this before. Remember, James is steeped in Jewish history. And so they knew who Job was. And he says, by the way, you have heard of the patience of Job. You might say, well, why would James use an example of Job here? Well, think about it. Job was a man who endured incredible suffering, right? And these readers could identify with this. He lost his wealth. 
He lost his children. He lost his physical health. He had boils over all of his body, his entire body. He had such, you know, insensitive friends that, you know, he told them they were miserable comforters, all three of them. His wife, you know, she was not an excellent wife. She needed, she needed that book. But his wife told him to curse God and die. I mean, and he persevered. He persevered. And James uses him an example. Look not at your circumstances. Job didn't look at his circumstances. You know what it says? In all this, Job did not sin. He did not sin. James says, look at the end. Look at the end. See the end intended by the Lord. The Lord is compassionate and merciful. Ladies, even though Job's circumstances were difficult, he persevered to the end. And you know, so many times we think about Job, we think of all the things I just mentioned, right? We think of all the horrible things that happened to him. Do you ever go read the end of Job? Do you ever read the end? It's a great ending to the story. And James says, look at the end of Job. In fact, this Greek word has two meanings to it. It means the purpose or the aim. Look at the purpose of his sufferings. Look at the end. Look at the termination. Go to the last act of the story. What happened? Listen to what happened. The Lord blessed the end of Job's days more than his beginning. He had 14,000 sheep, 6,000 camels, 1,000 oxen, 1,000 female donkeys, seven sons, three daughters, and in the land no daughters were as fair as Job's. He lived 140 more years and saw his grandchildren and even his great-grandchildren. The end was better than the beginning. And that would encourage these readers who are going through terrible suffering and persecution. They knew the story of Job. And ladies, it should encourage you, no matter what you're going through tonight, you don't know the end of the story. I'm sorry, you are not God. You do not know the end from the beginning. You do not know what's going to happen next week or even a year from now. But God does. I like what Solomon says in Ecclesiastes 7, 8. The end of a thing is better than its beginning. And the patient in spirit is better than the proud in spirit. And ladies, I can recount many instances in my life when I have gone through terrible things, suffering, persecution, slander, grief, disappointment. But you know what? As time goes on, I see the Lord's purposes in it. And the end is very good. The end is very good. And I wouldn't trade all that suffering for anything because God, what God does is good. And James says the Lord is very compassionate. He's very merciful. This word here for compassion means he is big hearted. God is big hearted. And he's full of tender compassion, he says. He's merciful. He cares about the misery you're in tonight. Ladies, we must not think that God is hard. We must not think God is cold. He has a father's heart. Even tonight, if he has allowed darkness to come into your life, even for these readers who are undergoing such terrible persecution, no pay for their work, being killed, he doesn't have a cold heart. I like what Isaiah says. Can a woman forget her nursing child? 
and not have compassion on the son of her womb? Surely they may forget, yet I will not forget, forget you, God says. I have inscribed you on the palm of my hands, he says. Deuteronomy thirty-three twenty-seven is another comforting verse. The eternal God is your refuge, and underneath are the everlasting arms. In fact, I used to listen to Elizabeth Elliot on the radio, and that was her beginning verse. I can still hear her saying it. The eternal God is your refuge, and underneath are the everlasting arms. Or Jeremiah 31, 3 tells us this, I have loved you with an everlasting love. What three great examples for us to be patient and for these readers, the patient farmer, persistent prophets, patriarch Job. So what is causing you to be impatient tonight? Traffic? Long lines at the grocery store? People that talk too much? A crying baby? Strong-willed child? Maybe things like misplaced keys? Stuck zippers, popped buttons, cold food, spilled milk, interruptions in your day, phone calls, deadlines, and feeling rushed. Does that make you impatient? Or maybe for you it's cooking, shopping, cleaning, doing laundry, your in-laws, pulling weeds, flat tires, balancing your checkbook, doing your taxes. I hope you've done them by now. Waiting for test results from the doctor. People that rub you the wrong way that make you impatient. The things that cause us to be impatient are mundane, really, in comparison to what these readers were going through. But, ladies, they're important to our Heavenly Father. He has the hairs on your head numbered. He cares when a sparrow falls. So he cares about what's going on in your life. But the same Heavenly Father that loves you and cares for you wants you to accept whatever he's allowed in your life, however difficult it is, as a gift. It's a gift. And there are some principles we can learn from this text on the topic of patience. And so I want to leave you with these things. And I have put them in the form of an acrostic, patience. And so P-A-T-I-N-T. And so they're all from the text. I didn't make them up. And so, but they're very good in, in thinking about this lesson. Ladies, the first thing, that you need to do in thinking about being patient is the P, the prophet's example. The prophet's example. Be patient by looking at the Old Testament prophets. Read some of their stories this week. Look at the incredible suffering they endured and how they came through as gold. This will encourage you to remain steadfast. The A in the acrostic, if you're having trouble being patient tonight, Look at the arrival of the Lord. The arrival of the Lord. Be patient in view of the Lord's return. He is coming. He is coming. And ladies, he, you will give an account if you are murmuring this evening or if you have an impatient attitude because we're going to be judged for the things done in our body, whether it's good or bad. So that'll help you to be patient, thinking about the arrival of the Lord. The, t the T, the end is not yet here. The end is not yet here. Ladies, be patient by realizing you don't have the big picture, right? The story hasn't ended yet. Your life is not over. The end of what the Lord does in our lives is pretty incredible. Anticipate it. Wait for it. 
In fact, Aristotle once said, patience is bitter, but its fruits are sweet. The eye in your acrostic is the illustration of the farmer. The illustration of the farmer. The farmer does not get angry at the poor defenseless plants who can do nothing about the lack of rain, and neither should you or I. The E. Establish your hearts. Establish your hearts. Be patient by being steadfast. Prop yourself up. Be firm. Be unwavering. The N. No murmuring. No murmuring. This is our last lesson on the tongue. Aren't you glad? No, next week. I'm sorry. We have another one. Be patient by not murmuring about your difficulty and do not take it out on others. Ladies, if you murmur, you know what it does? It only further cements the problem in your mind and it causes you to be a very critical person. You want to know the cure? If you're going through hard times and you're tempted to murmur tonight, be thankful. Find something to be thankful for in your difficult situation this evening. Instead of murmuring and complaining, be thankful. Look for the good that God is doing in whatever he's doing in your life. And then the last one is the T. Tender-hearted is God. If you're having struggles being patient tonight, remember, God is tender-hearted. Tender-hearted is God. Be patient by realizing that God is merciful. He's big-hearted. God is not a mean God in heaven heaven wanting to inflict pain on you tonight. He's tender. And even in the hard times, his faithfulness is great and his mercies are new every morning. Let's pray together. Dear Father, I thank you for this example that you have given us tonight in the epistle of James and the encouragement that it is to us as we go through trials of many colors. Lord, that we can be patient, we can be persistent, we can endure. As we look not only of the sufferings of Job and how he endured and how you blessed the end of his life, but we also look at the prophets and, Lord, um, they encourage us to remain steadfast and to be patient during suffering. And then the patient farmer who doesn't retaliate or get angry when, when things don't grow according to his schedule. Lord, I pray for these ladies this evening if they're struggling with um, difficult people, difficult circumstances. Lord, that you might use these words this evening to encourage their hearts, prop themselves up, be firm, to be steadfast. And Lord, also that they would look to you, to Jesus, the author and finisher of their faith, knowing that you will return and it will be soon, that you are standing at the doors, ready to push them open. And so, Lord, with these words, I pray that we would exercise great patience even in the days to come, as I'm sure that many of us will go through many more trials. And, Lord, we certainly need these words to encourage our hearts. And so I thank you for this. Bless in the time to come as we discuss the lesson. And may our hearts be filled with joy and gratitude for all you've done. In Christ's name, amen.